Take your Bibles and turn to the book of Ezra. It's right after Kings, or right after Chronicles, which is right after Kings, which is right after Samuel. Gives you an idea of where to go. Right before Psalms and Proverbs. So go to Psalms, turn left. You can find it. This series, Get Back In, I've been thinking about now for uh, a couple of months. We're going to be preaching through, uh, still preaching through the D group readings that we've been doing, which made it interesting, in the, 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 prepar- made the, 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 the preparation interesting for me. I, I, I had some ideas of what we as a church and what we as individual believers need to get back in to. I had a list of about 9, 10, 11 things. I talked to the staff and others about it. What are some things we need to get back into as a church? And we came up with this list, but I wasn't going to try to shoehorn my list into Scripture. So I read ahead for all of February. I'm not special. I just did it. Um, to see what Scripture would be telling us to get back into for the month of February. And one of the first things that came up was worship, as we read uh, the book of Ezra this past week, or at least the first five or six chapters of Ezra this week. There were some things in Daniel that that I wanted to, to preach on that jumped out to me, and I wrote them down and thought, okay, this is good, but the Lord led me to this passage first this week, and we had already been discussing singing the song, Raise a Hallelujah, and it was on the list of new things that we were going to do this year, new songs we were going to sing this year, and it, I'd say, okay, well, we'll put that one first, primarily because I got some special requests for it, and then these two things came together earlier this week as, we, as I began to really settle all this in for Sunday morning. Get Back In is the the title of the series. Get Back Into this morning. It's going to be Worship. The series title and, uh, I I mean, uh, the series tagline, I should say. Let me see if I can find it just to remind you I, I have it. Get Back In, Making Discipleship a Habit Again. We have, I'm afraid, I know I have, it has been very easy for me to allow all the new responsibilities the new problems, the new fires to put out to take the place of the simple, regular ways that I would go deeper with God in a normal year. It's very easy. It's, it's, it's easy to pray about the big things. Lord, we need this for the church. We need the insurance company to do this. By the way, pray for our relationship with our property insurance company. Uh, Things are turning south a little bit with them. There are some issues arising. I don't want to get into all that this morning, Um, but we're we're coming to the big bumps in the road. Uh, So there's something you can pray for now. Um, We have special things we can pray for, and, and there's been a lot with the pandemic and all, you know, there's a, there's a lot of focus on the big things, and I'm afraid we begin to lose the normal, regular things. And so this series is Get Back In, Making a Discipleship a Habit Again. 
Now, briefly, I want to have a commercial for Faith Life. Tom didn't put this up, put me up to this, but he's cheering me in the back. If you had the Faith Life app open right now to this morning's bulletin, and I said something you agreed with, you could make the screen say amen. See the screen? Like, isn't Michael a handsome fella? Or if you just wanted to say, you know, I love that. Get a little heart. Do a little heart. That's just for fun. There's no oh me button. There's no, what did he say? Button. There's no, he couldn't have possibly meant that button. It's just amen and heart. That's just for your fun. That's for you if you're, if you're struggling. Do I say anything out loud? Ronnie, you struggle with that. You know, should I say amen out loud? A couple of others do too. If you do, you can amen it right there. See, that's, that's just for fun. I, I had to tell you that. So, amen. We need to pray for our insurance company. There. There you go. We need to get back into what we're doing. Now, that's back into the disciplines. That's back into the fundamentals of our faith. That's back into our habits. And this morning, I'm talking about get back into worship. Now, let me put a disclaimer here at the beginning. I am not calling anyone to put your health at risk unnecessarily. This is not a message to shame people who feel like they can't come out and be a part of a group like this for fear of the virus. That is not what I'm saying at all. Most of those people that I know of that do not feel like they can be here in our group this morning, they're watching right now in their homes. Hey, everybody. And for right now, that is perfectly fine. But they are participating in the best way that they can. That is what we need to do. And even if we aren't in our group, in a location on Sunday morning, we need, we have to practice as many spiritual habits as we can, especially those we have let slide with all that's gone on in the past year. So this morning, as I speak of getting back into worship, let me say again, please do not hear me berate you if for health and medical reasons you don't feel like you can be here on Sunday morning. You need to stay home and thank you for joining us this morning through our live streams. It's why we do it. And I've seen some pastors sharing some things on, on Facebook. If you're willing to sit at a sporting event or something else and you, but you're not coming to church, then maybe your priorities are not exactly where they should be. There's some legitimacy there, I think. But I'm not talking to those who have been in their home since the middle of March and for the most part haven't left since then. Okay? There, that's out of the way. Now let's see what Scripture says. Get back in to worship. Ezra 3 through 6 talks about that to us. Now there were, for them, at this time, there were countless reasons for them not to worship. You know what their number one reason to not worship was, if you've already done your reading this week? They didn't have a building. 
They didn't have a temple. They had come back to a destroyed Jerusalem. And that is when we pick, where we pick up in uh, really toward the end of chapter 2, the beginning of chapter 3. Now, I'm not going to read this whole, these whole four chapters at the beginning. We're going to read as we move through it, which is going to make it a whole lot of fun for Carol as she tries to keep up with me on the slides. There are ten points to this message. Yes, I know, but... I'm going to move through them in a relatively uh, big hurry. What we see, somebody was joking, you got your snacks? Okay, everybody's got their snacks. You might want to go get the coffee now, uh, get the cup ready, but don't get so much that you have to go to the bathroom about three-quarters of the way through. Number one, we worship when there is little. We worship when there's little. Ezra 3, 1 through 5 tells us in the seven-month, the Israelites were in their towns. The people gathered as one in Jerusalem. Jeshua, son of Josadak, and his brothers, the priests, along with Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, and his brothers began to build the altar of Israel's God in order to offer burnt offerings on it, as it is written in the law of Moses, the man of God. They set up the altar on its foundation and offered burnt offerings for the morning and evening on it to the Lord, even though they feared the surrounding peoples. They celebrated the festival of shelters as prescribed and offered burnt offerings each day based on the number specified by ordinance for each festival day. After that, they offered the regular burnt offering and the offerings for the beginning of each month and for all the Lord's appointed holy occasions as well as the free will offerings brought to the Lord. We worship when there's little. They had little. As a matter of fact, when they got there, they didn't even have the altar. The temple was gone. It had a foundation. It didn't even have the foundation much. That, that had been torn up too. So they go to where the altar was supposed to be and they rebuilt it. We worship when there's little of what's familiar. Nothing looked right to them. Jerusalem had been destroyed some three, four hundred years before. They come home. The temple's gone. It's not even a slab. It's dirt. Nothing was familiar. Life wasn't familiar. They had been now captives in Babylon, Mede, Persia, whoever's controlling it at the time. For all this time, Jeremiah had already told them, when you get there, when you get into captivity, build your cities, plant your crops, have your children, live there and bless the cities you live, you live in. And we see that with Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Those were the, the best examples of blessing where they were, trusting God, following God, not compromising, yet being a blessing to the situation that they were, that they were in. So when they get back home, now they've left what's been their home for four, five, six generations... And there's little of what's familiar. Nothing looks right. Maybe they left people back in Babylon, back in captivity, folks that didn't want to come home. So they look around and the people they're used to, their friends, their family, are no longer there. The, the, the town that was described, the city of Jerusalem that was described to them, doesn't look right. doesn't look like anything that was described. The temple, as it was described, doesn't look right. There's nothing that's familiar anymore. Not only is nothing familiar, just the very basic things aren't there. there there's little of what once was. 
Like I said, it, 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 it didn't look familiar because it wasn't. Nothing was the way it should have been. Does that sound like anybody's life right now? Nothing is the way it should be. We have church members still living in hotels because they can't live in their homes. We have church members living in Lafayette because they can't live in their home here in Lake Charles. We meet in a hollowed-out gym because we can't meet in the sanctuary. We move classrooms two weeks after we get settled in the classrooms we had because things are still changing. There's little of what once was. Worship when there's little motivation. There would be little motivation to come to worship for the people of Israel. There's no temple. Where are we going? There's not even an altar. Well, we built that. Well, great. So there's an altar sticking out in the middle of the dirt with nothing else around it. Why would I go and take part of that? Take part in that? We worship when there is little motivation to do so. The motivation might be because what's familiar is gone. The motivation might be that there's nothing it appears to go to. And the motivation, the lack of motivation, might be because we look around and we wonder, why did God allow this to happen in the first place? Where's the God that I worshipped however long ago, whether it was hundreds of years or 10 months, 11 months now? Where? I just don't. I don't have it in me. Worship anyway. Here in Ezra, that he talks about now we worship as you give. Worship as you give. There were offerings that needed to be made. The temple had to be rebuilt. The altar had to rebuilt, be rebuilt. And in Ezra 3, 6 through 7, on the first day of the seventh month, they began, we're just kind of recapping, they began to offer burnt offerings, even though the foundation of the Lord's temple had not yet been laid, right? Wasn't even there. Nothing familiar, nothing as it was. Yet they gave money to the stonecutters and artisans and gave food, drink, and oil to the people of Sidon and Tyre so they would bring cedar wood from Lebanon to Joppa by sea according to the authorization given them by King Cyrus of Persia. Ezra here doesn't call them to give. They do give. Because they know the ministry of the temple. They know the ministry of worship. But more than that, they know that giving is worship. When they gave their money, when they gave food, drink, and oil, when they did these things, it was worship. It was them giving to God very likely from their lack, not from their wealth. Coming from Babylon, there may have been people that were doing good in Babylon and making money and, and living an okay life or maybe even a great life. And they come back and they have more and they are able to do it. But the, the uh, understanding we have of exiles coming home is that for the most part, they don't. And even if they did have money, they're having to invest that, and where they're going to get in trouble for this a little later, into building homes and, and their cities and their walls. Later on, they're going to get smacked down a little bit for focusing on all the other stuff and leaving the temple unfinished, unbuilt. 
But what they knew was giving was their worship. Or at least a part of worship. Giving is worship. When you say to God, this is yours, not mine. Actually, when you say to God, all of this is yours, and you ask for this amount of it, and I'm going to give it to you, you are worshiping. But more than just it is a part of worship, giving focuses our worship. The giving of that gift, the giving of that amount, that money to the Lord says, Lord, I am, I am intent on seeing the work that you are doing. I am intent on seeing you do something with my offering combined with all the other offerings and you do something great with it. It is no secret that our church has been struggling in our budget for years. Years and years and years. And this year is no different. And every time it looks like we're about to get up off the mat, somebody comes along, or something like a hurricane or a pandemic, and kicks us in the ribs, and we're down on the mat again. And yet, we have to be able to say to the Lord, here, this is yours. And I don't, know, uh, I, I don't know what anybody gives. I don't know if there are folks that are holding back their worship through giving. But I'm begging you not to. Give to the Lord because it will focus your worship on Him. It will provide for worship. You give to the Lord's house, to the Lord, and you are provided the means for worship. Now, we are very, 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 very Western in our worship. We think we have to have walls and air conditioning and sound equipment, and there are people around the world worshiping with us right now, eh, you know, maybe a few hours ago based on time zones. They don't have any of this. They got a tree. That's where they worship. But this is where we are. This is how we worship. It is our expectation. It's not wrong for us to do this, but it does require the people to be a part, to give, to provide for worship. So worship as you give. When you come to the Lord's house, give to Him. Ver uh, number three, worship in the process. What in the world do you mean by that, Michael? Verse 8 of chapter 3. In the second month, the second year, after they arrived at God's house in Jerusalem, Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, Jeshua, son of Josadak, and the rest of their brothers, including the priests, the Levites, and all who had returned to Jerusalem from the captivity, began to build. They appointed the Levites, who were 20 years old or more, to supervise the work on the Lord's house. Jeshua and all his sons and brothers, Cadmiel with his sons, and the sons of Judah and Henadad, with their sons and brothers, the Levites, joined together to supervise those working on the house of God. Now, if my math is right, it was in the seventh month. Now we're in the second month of the second year. So that should be something like seven months later. Seven months, they worshipped at an altar. Just an altar, if I'm understanding this correctly. Then seven months later, after they'd been there some 14 months they begin to rebuild. It wasn't a quick process. I don't think they were dealing with an insurance company. Could have been that was the issue. 
actually, sort of, kind of, if you read chapter 5, they kind of were dealing with an insurance company. The payments got messed up. They weren't getting what they were supposed to. Well, hold on. But in the meantime, do you think they stopped worshiping? Do you think they quit going to the altar to worship? No, that's clearly not what is intended by the previous six verses. The worship continued. They continued to build. As a matter of fact, verse 10 is going to tell us when we get there. We're not there yet. Uh, uh, Oh, rather, yes, we are. I'm sorry. Uh, I didn't read far enough, did I? Yeah. When the builders had laid the foundation of the Lord's temple, the priests dressed in their robes and holding trumpets, and the Levites descended from Asaph, holding cymbals, took their positions to the praise of the Lord as King David of Israel had instructed. They sang with praise and thanksgiving to the Lord, for he is good. His faithful love to Israel endures forever. Lacey, when you read that from Second Chronicles, is that that's the same? Were you quoting this or were you quoting Second Chronicles? Because that's you were quote. Yeah, same verse, right? That's right. And I completely lost where I was. Yeah, there it is. They sang with praise, for he is good. His faithful love to Israel endures forever. It's the same thing. Going into war, his faithful love endures forever. Rebuilding the temple, his faithful love endures forever. No matter what was going on, God's faithful love endured forever. Then all the people gave a great shout of praise to the Lord. That should sound familiar. That's what Lacey read as well in a different part. Because the foundation of the Lord's house had been laid. All right. So in the seventh month of the first year, they built the altar. Seven months later, they got the slab poured. That's what laying the foundation was. Fourteen months, they have an altar and a slab. And they rejoiced. They gave a great shout of praise to the Lord because the slab got poured. Worship in the process. Rebuilding is slow. Rebuilding our church is going to be slow. Looks like now it's going to be even slower than we thought. And, And I thought it couldn't go any slower without stopping. Well, here we are. Rebuilding is slow. They saw it. They knew it. And they worshipped in the process anyway. Discipleship is slow. Remember, our call as a church, as believers, is to make disciples. We as Baptists, we, we we, we have in mind our call is to share the gospel. Well, you can't make disciples without sharing the gospel. That is very true. But our calling, our purpose, the great commission is not to share the gospel and walk away, but to make disciples. That is slow. Slow growth. That means that the disciples have to grow to the point that they can then pour into other people and make disciples out of them. Doing a little experiment at home if you want to. And put some glasses or bowls that are different heights. Put one of those under the sink and just turn it on just a little bit. Just a slow pour. And that's if you're getting something every day. But if you're getting Sunday morning every week and that's the extent of your discipleship, cut that sucker to a drip. 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 How long will it take your bowl to fill up 
and get to the point where it pours over into other bowls and fills them up and pours over into others. Well, the more you take in, the higher you can turn that water on and you get a good enough stream going, you can fill those bowls up pretty quick. Especially if you've got more than one flow going, more than one bowl being filled, pouring into more than one bowl. But it doesn't matter really how many. It's still not a quick process. Because the bowls that you're pouring into tip over and pour me out. And some get splashed out when stuff gets dropped in their world and you've got to re-pour. Discipleship is slow. Therefore, lasting growth in a church is slow. Growth done right in a church is slow. Churches can put on events. They can attract. They can do things that get people to come in. They can preach scripture light, make people comfortable, and they will get the people to come in and sit and give money, and then they can call themselves a wealthy church and have everything they want and not be making disciples. That's not what the church is called to do. And then when the thing that attracted them is gone, the people that were attracted leave. But when it is Jesus Christ that attracts, when it's God's Word that attracts, when it is growing disciples that attract, those never go away. And so the people stay. Lasting growth is slow. Point number four, worship when it hurts. They've laid the foundation. They've begun the foundation. They've celebrated over it. They've poured the slab. Verse 12, but many of the older priests, Levites, and family heads who had seen the first temple wept loudly when they saw the foundation of this temple. Y'all, that's not the temple we, we grew up with. That's not the temple that we knew about. Now, I didn't think about this enough when I read it earlier in the week, but it just struck me. Who was alive to have seen it the way it was at this point? And how old did they have to be? Maybe I'm wrong about how long it's been. I must be. I said three or four hundred years. They, they haven't been gone that long. That's how long they were in captivity in Egypt. I'm sorry. They were here 70 years, I think. So there are some extremely old people at this point who remember the original temple. That's my bad. Thank you, Scripture, for correcting me. Isn't that what it's supposed to do, right? Correct us? It did. They look around, and nothing's familiar. Nothing's the way it was. As a matter of fact, in their eyes, it's a shadow of what could have been, or rather, what was. They look at the slab that's poured and say, that's nothing. That foundation is nothing like the temple we knew. That was our temple, and this is, I don't know what this is. We worship even when it hurts. We should mourn the loss. They were right to mourn their loss. They, they saw what Solomon had built, what God had provided for in the heyday of Judah, of Israel, of Jerusalem. 
the son of David, not Jesus' son of David, but Solomon's son of David, was the king on the throne. And look what God had done in our city. Look what he had done with our temple. Those were the good old days. Where were the good old days? Now, they were burned and destroyed because of sin. We should mourn the loss but we shouldn't live in the loss. All of their tears did not make the foundation bigger. All of the tears did not make the exile go away. All of the tears didn't build Solomon's temple back. It became second temple. The second temple period is what this will be called. And it was not what had been but it was where God had them and what he had provided for now. See, God had not changed. So we should worship despite the loss. Mourn in it, don't live in it, and worship despite it. Worship God when it hurts. Maybe their loss, their loss was the temple not looking exactly right for us, it, it's, it's greater loss. It is people we've lost, friends we've lost, family we've lost to a virus, homes that some of us will, will never live in the same way again. I have a pastor friend who lives in Iowa. He has lost his entire house. They're, they're building a new house. It wasn't just the roof came in and, some, and a lot of damage. It's, it is take it down to the foundation and start over again. Mourn the loss. Don't live in the loss. And worship despite the loss. Number five, worship God for what He's doing. God had not disappeared. God had not stopped working because here they were. They have rebuilt the temple. They are, I mean, the, rather, the, the, the uh, altar. They have laid the foundation. And the last part of verse 12 says, But many others shouted joyfully. Verse 13, as a matter of fact, The people could not distinguish the sound of the joyful shouting from that of the weeping, because the people were shouting so loudly, and the sound was heard from far away. What does sulfur hear from First Baptist Church of Sulfur? Does sulfur hear the sound of weeping over what was? Gnashing of teeth? Complaining? Griping? Or does sulfur hear the sound of worship from the people who know God has never left them? Worship God for what he's doing. The people knew with their smaller foundation and their exposed altar that God was in control of the loss. God was in control of everything that had happened. And they were going to worship God for what he was doing, doing right then. God was in control of the lack. They didn't have all the resources they needed to rebuild at the time. An altar after seven months. 
A foundation after 14 months. There's a long process here. God was in control of all of that. He was bringing to them what they need in order to do the work they needed to do. And then they understood that whatever happens from here forward, that God is in control of the gain. God was in control of the loss. God is in control of where we are now in the midst of lack. But God is in control of the gain. If the temple would ever function again as a place of worship, it would be because God did it. Not because there was an insurance company that paid the right amount of money or the right people stuck around or the, wrong, or the right people left or anything like that. It would not have been anything that depended on the people. It would depend on God. He was in control of it. So the people worshipped Him despite everything that told them they shouldn't or couldn't. Ezekiel 36.11 prophesied while they were in captivity. I will make you better off than you were before. Then you will know that I am the Lord. I will make you better off than you were before. Not so you could get new stuff and have a big fat savings account and have a nice new facility or anything like that so that you will know that I am the Lord. If we worship in a hollowed out gym for the next three years, who gets the glory for that? God. Who are we worshiping? God. If we get to a sanctuary fully remodeled and, and uh, outfitted better than we could have ever imagined, who gets the glory for that? God. Who are we worshiping? God. Is there anything that we should care about more than worship? No. No. Not our bank accounts. Not how much savings we have. Not whether this looks right or that looks right or any of that. But are we worshiping? Because it doesn't matter the rest of it. We worship for what God is doing. We worship, number six, when it's hard. We've already worshipped when it, when it hurts. Now we worship when it's hard. Ezra 4, 1 through 23 shows us that they worshipped when it was hard, and I think I have just a couple of verses. Yeah, 4 through 5 is all I'm going to focus on in this section. The people, verse 4, Then the people who were already in the land discouraged the people of Judah and made them afraid to build. They also bribed officials to act against them to frustrate their plans throughout the reign of King Cyrus of Persia and until the reign of King Darius of Persia. The entire chapter 4 is a whole bunch of letter writing back and forth. People who didn't want the temple rebuilt saying, hey, you know this is going on, this is going to be bad for you, you need to stop it. And Artaxerxes writing back saying, you're, you're right, that will be bad for me, alright, make them stop it. And you know what they didn't do? No, they didn't really stop. They worshipped when it's hard. For us, for them, for you, Hard may be loss. Maybe that's your hard right now. It's hard to worship because of all that's been lost. Whether it's your home, whether it's family members, whether it's what this looks like now and what it won't look like when it's over, maybe that is your loss. Worship anyway. Hard may be persecution. Someday, Christians in the U.S. might face real persecution where we have to die for our faith. 
where we are punished severely, physically, lose our property, lose our money for our faith. That might be hard. We're nowhere near that yet. I mean, that, that might be coming, but we're nowhere near that yet. It might be like these people that were fearful. We've already read they were fearful just to go to worship at the altar because of the people around them. Now they're fearful for, to rebuild because of the people persecuting around them. But your heart may also be sin. The reason you struggle to worship could be sin in your life. I won't ask for a raise of hands, but I'll raise mine. Yeah. As a matter of fact, most of the time when I struggle to worship, it's not the surroundings. It's not what I don't have. It's not persecution coming at me. It is me looking around me and being sinful because of those things. Making idols out of things that shouldn't be idols. That is sin. And I say I can't worship because of those things. Yes, I can. I can worship in spite of anything Scripture tells me. We worship when it's hard. We worship when the future's uncertain. Here they sat. These letters are going back and forth. They've gotten this letter back from Artaxerxes at the end of chapter uh, 4. And verse uh, 5 of chapter 5. But God was watching over the Jewish elders. These men wouldn't stop until a report was sent to Darius so that they could receive written instructions about this matter. What would they not stop? They wouldn't stop rebuilding. They wouldn't stop preparing a place for worship. They wouldn't stop going to the altar next to this foundation, next to the poured slab where maybe they've got a few studs up or something. They wouldn't stop going. Why? God knew. God was watching. God was aware. Did they know what was coming next? No. Did they know if Artaxerxes was going to come with his army and, and, and beat them all up? No clue. What if all their work got torn down? Everything they had done up to now was going to be just wiped away. Who cares? They were going to worship. See, worship when the future is uncertain. We can do that because only God knows when and if we'll be rebuilt. Am I talking about them? Yeah. Am I talking about us? Yeah. Only God knows. I mean, that's not a flippant response anymore. That's just what I'm realizing. Lord only knows when this is going to be rebuilt. Only God knows when or if our church budget will balance. Only God knows. Only God knows when or if we will grow as a church numerically. Only God knows. So what are we supposed to do? Worship. Worship. The future is uncertain. If you've got the future figured out, start to say, let me know. But I won't believe you. So don't, because we don't. We have no clue, but I know who does. It is the one we worship. He has the future. So when it's hard, when we're hurting, when, 
we, we, we wonder if God's working, but we know that He is. When the, when the future's uncertain, we worship. And then when we get to an end, someday, somewhere, wherever that is, we worship when God provides. Chapter 6, verse 8. The letter from Darius. We done changed kings, it's taken so long. We've gone from Artaxerxes, now it's Darius. Over and over and over, this, this is not a, sh a short process. We are months and months into this. Now we get a letter, the Israelites get a letter in chapter, eight, uh, chapter 6, verse 8, from Darius, I hereby issue a decree concerning what you are due. This is to the people around Jerusalem. So that the elders of the Jews can rebuild the house of God. The cost is to be paid in full to these men out of the royal revenues from the taxes of the region west of the Euphrates River so that the work will not stop. Whatever is needed, young bulls, rams, and lambs for burnt offerings to the God of the heavens, or wheat, salt, wine, and oil as requested by the priests in Jerusalem, let it be given to them every day without fail so that they can offer sacrifices of pleasing aroma to the God of the heavens and pray for the life of the king and his sons. Worship when God provides. I can't wait to come back and tell you on a Sunday morning that the insurance company gave us all the money they were supposed to. That day ain't today. Hopefully in a few weeks I'll be able to tell you, hey, it's going great now, everything's worked out. We're breezing through. We'll worship God that day. We'll worship for Him for His provision. God always gives what we need. Michael, we don't have what we need now. I'm warm. Everybody fairly warm? I mean, not freezing, right? Some of you, you know, you're, you're cold everywhere. But you're not freezing, right? We're, we're fairly climate controlled in here. Sounds, the sound is okay. I mean, you can hear me. No, no struggles there. Maybe too loud, depending on what's going on. But, but we're good, right? And it's, it, the, the, the wind annoys us a little bit when it pops those, uh, those loose siding pieces, but, but generally we're out of the wind. Got a praise team, incredibly talented praise team. Sound crew that runs it all, sets it all up every week, tears it down every week. It sounds like, maybe it's just me talking, we have what we need. We have what we need. God always provides what we need. God always gives when we need. But we need this other, I know we do. The, the rooms in this, and I, I know. And we've got some deadlines we're hoping to meet, I know. And those are, whose deadlines? God's or mine? Ours. Yeah, it's ours. And we may not meet those deadlines. We may have to wait on God some more. And you know when he will provide? Exactly when we need it. And he will provide it how we need it. There have been countless times, I talked about this a little bit in, in our business meeting a few weeks ago, where I, I never knew as a church planter where something was going to come from, where the, the next 
50 bucks that we needed or 500 bucks that we needed to, to keep the facility going that we were renting or all those things. I, I, I don't know now, is it going to be the insurance company? Is it going to be this other thing? Just, just so you know what's been going on. There's another round of pay t- Paycheck Protection Program money that's available now. The church no longer qualifies. Because there was a little, in this new round, there was a stipulation that in any given quarter this year, you had to show a 25% drop in income versus the same quarter in 2019. I said this year, I meant 2020. So in a quarter of 2020, you had to show a net drop in income of 25% as compared to the same quarter in 2019. I thought we were going to breeze through that. October, November, December, I can show 25% loss fairly easily. Except we couldn't. We received over $70,000 in donations from private individuals, businesses, and other churches giving toward whatever we needed. Literally, hey, if you need to spend this money on somebody that needs help out in your community, do it. If your church needs this, do it. We've spent some 15000 of it already on various things when we were doing the supply closet or the, the bus barn and all that. My point in telling you is God provided when we needed it. We didn't get the paycheck protection loan grant, whatever. Darn. I'm disappointed, sure. But you know why we didn't get it? Because we already had what we needed. You know why? Because God provided it when we needed it. And you know how he did it? The way he wanted to, not the way we thought we should do it. God provides and we'll worship him. I only have two more points, so we'll get out of here before one. Worship when God protects. Worship when God protects. Not only did God provide for the Israelites, he protected the Israelites. In that same letter, they get all the money they need. Verse 11 of chapter 6. I also issue a decree concerning any man who interferes with this directive. Let a beam be torn from his house and raised up. The Persians were kind of mean. Okay? Let a beam be torn from his house and raised up. He will be impaled on it. And his house will be made into a garbage dump because of this offense. You skip ahead to verse 13 and 14. The people around Jerusalem, they snapped to it. Suddenly, they didn't give any problems anymore. God had provided protection for his people. And we worship God when he protects. God knows the people that would hurt his church. And I mean his church universal and his church local. God knows the people that would hurt First Baptist Church of Sulphur. And he will take revenge on them. And he will protect our church from them. God knows the circumstances that would hurt his church. He knows that hurricanes mess things up. He knows that pandemics ruin, it looks like, 
our ability to worship the way we always have. He knows that those outside forces affect income. They affect our ability to minister. They affect our ability to reach out. God knows the circumstances that would hurt His church. God knows the apathy that would hurt His church. He knows what it's like for us to go through so much that we sit in a chair some Sunday mornings and say, God, I just don't have the energy to care anymore. I just don't have the energy to worship anymore. He knows the apathy that is not brought on by circumstances and hurt. He knows the apathy that is brought on by just, I don't want to do it anymore. I don't like this, so I'm going to fight it, or I'm not going to do anything. I'm just going to be apathetic toward it. He knows those things. And what do we do? We worship Him. Because He will protect His church. What does protection look like? Does it look like everything is going to be fine and hunky-dory for the next however many months, and we're going to grow to a thousand people? I don't know. That'd be nice. But couldn't protection also look like a remnant? A few. What's a few, Michael? I don't know. I keep thinking we're at a few. And then we're a few fewer. And I keep wondering when we're, when we're a few enough. That God's remnant is there. I don't know. But what I know is that God protects. And if we are a people of worship, if we are a people making disciples, God will protect his church. Number 10, we worship when God restores. Again, I don't know what restoration looks like. I don't know what we look like on the other side of this. It may look like this, it may not. But I know God restores. And I know when that day comes, we will worship Him. I hope, I pray, I'm around to see the restoration. I might not be. It might be that God restores through some other means. You know who's in charge of that? Not me, God. But when that moment happens, when he restores, we will worship. Verses 16 through 22, chapter 22. I'll just read uh, verse 16 for time's sake. Then the Israelites, including the priests, the Levites, and the rest of the exiles, celebrated the dedication of the house of God with joy. It had been restored. They had... They'd, done, they'd probably at this point actually built the walls and put the roof on. We, we realized later on that there were some problems with it. But finally, it's done. And they worship God. They worship Him when it's restored. Again, what's the date for our restoration? No dadgum clue. But what I'm going to do is remind you over and over that we'll worship Him when that happens, we'll worship Him until that happens, and until that happens, we have three things. We have a mission, and that is to make disciples. We have a mission field, and that is all nations. 
or Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth, if you prefer that verse, we have a mission field. We can come much closer and just say our mission field is sulfur. We have a mission, we have a mission field, and we have a message. What is our message? Come see our rebuilt church? No. Come become a tithing member of our church? No. Our message is come be a disciple of Jesus. That's our message. That's our only message. That's our only purpose. If we are doing anything else as our purpose, we're doing it wrong. Our message is come to Jesus and be a disciple. Walk with us as we become disciples. Sit next to us as the flow of God's word pours into us and because we fill up, it pours over into you and you fill up and when life bumps you, splashes some of that out, you don't get out of the sink. You don't say, well, I'm done being filled. That didn't work. You huddle up closer and you get filled quicker and you get filled more because together as a family we worship and we make disciples we worship and we need to get back into that our message is simple that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God that the wages of that sin is death and but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord, that while we were still sinners, enemies, far from God, Christ died for us, and that's how God proved his love for us. The message is, with all of that that works against our relationship with God, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. If you confess with your mouth, what's calling on the name of the Lord? Confessing with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. And if you believe in your heart, God has raised him from the dead. You will be saved. That is the beginning of discipleship. That is the beginning of worship. And this morning, there may be somebody that's not getting back into anything. They're not getting back into the sink to be pour, filled up by the pour over. But instead, you need to get in for the first time. Trust Jesus Christ as your Savior today. Pray with me. Father, thank you that no matter how long we have been gone, no matter how far we have strayed, no matter how much we have moved away from the, the fundamentals, the disciplines, the habits of being close to you, we can always pick it up right where we are and worship you. And God, this morning I, I pray for the habit of worship, for the discipline of worship, that we would worship with all that's going on, with all the real problems, with all the potential problems, with all the unknowns and the uncertain future, we would worship. And God, let me just thank you right now for what I have seen in our church in the previous month. God, I, I, we have seen worship. I have seen worship. I thank you for what you're doing, and I pray that you would continue to do it. 
that we would continue to seek you, to chase after you, to follow you, and see you work in incredible, mighty ways. Not in ways that we have planned, not in ways that we thought it should work out. And Lord, not for the goals that we have set for us, but the goals you have set through your word to make disciples. Period. And God, if we do that, none of the other stuff is something we ever have to worry about again. The beauty of following you and being obedient to you. God, I pray that if there's someone here that has never gotten in to begin with, of being a disciple, of trusting Jesus Christ, maybe they're here in this place, maybe they're watching online, that you would work on their hearts now and they would follow you in faith, trusting Jesus as their Savior. God, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you'd like to use this time to pray, if you want to pray with someone, Tom and Amy will be at the back door there. You could go to them and pray with them. If you'd like to, a little more explanation on salvation or uh, what the Lord is doing in your life, they'd love to talk to you. Maybe you want to come to the front and pray here. Make this slab an altar. That's fine. But as we sing, as we continue to worship this morning, let's do it together and worship God regardless of what's around us this morning. Let's stand, let's sing, and do business with Him today.